if you were brought up in a, a church environment, you will have probably heard this parable 30 times just in Sunday school, and, uh, and then this little bit from Proverbs chapter 1. And uh, between the two of them, to help kick off uh, a couple of months where we're looking Sunday by Sunday at this whole question is what does it mean to live a wise life? Wisdom for living is what we've called it. And uh, I'm going to ask the question, how, how can we be wise? How can we live lives that are shaped that way? Um, and uh, what's the Bible got to say into the, the sort of messy reality of everything from family life to working life to friendships to success and failure um, and so on. Let me read for you uh, Proverbs chapter 1 and just the first seven verses, page 635, if you want to follow it in the Pew Bibles. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and discipline. Wisdom or folly. What's the, what's the parable? Go on. Very good. Front row, get the, get the star prize. Um, it's the wise builder and the foolish builder. Uh, Aid was there. Uh, you, do you want to sing the song? <laughs> um, this, mo- this morning, I started to tell the parable, and I found myself wanting to do that. Wise man built his house. Promise, I still see it today with the, the Blue School Nursery, so it's in my head every day. So the wise, wise um, builder and the foolish builder, it's a parable that Jesus tells. It's one that we'd love to do with kids' groups because you could do lots of craft with it, and it's very visual. Actually, with kids, what I found is... It, the story works beautifully. They can all visualize, you know, houses going up and falling down and houses staying put and all of that. Actually explaining what it means is quite hard. What does it mean to be a wise builder in life or a foolish builder in life? What's Jesus trying to put across? Why does he tell this parable and what's it got to do with Proverbs? Well, I want to suggest that um, the challenge Jesus was giving and the challenge that I hear from it is simply this, that we spend... Um, if we're trying to follow a Jesus in our lives, we spend too much of our time focused on the bricks and mortar and the house we're building and not enough time thinking about the foundations. Too much time thinking about the bricks and mortar and the house we're building and not enough time on the foundations. Now, the way that Jesus tells the story, very simply, he simply says there was a wise builder who built his house and he chose, you know, a good foundation to build it on. Built it up, the rains came down, the floods went whoosh, I don't suppose he said whoosh. And uh, the house on the rock stood firm, whatever. Whatever your version is, okay? So that's great. The foolish builder also builds a house. Now, the interesting thing about the parable is that Jesus doesn't say that he builds the house any differently. Yeah, he's, he just builds a house. He doesn't say he builds a worse house or a tumbly-down house or a house with terrible mortar. He doesn't pick the right bricks. He builds a house. So we've got to assume pretty much the same house. The difference is simply the foundation. This time he builds it on sand. And when the rain comes down and the floods come up, the house on the sand falls. The point is that Jesus is saying something about um, that you can look at two different lives that are building pretty much the same house to use the metaphor of the sort of life we're building. They might be doing pretty much the same job. They might have a very similar looking family. They might have a similar reputation. 
But the issue is not about the bricks and mortar, the stuff of life that we're building. It's the question of what are we building it on? What foundation are we standing on as we build our lives? And the difference is between wisdom and folly. And Jesus is saying that the difference of those two lives is so profound that one of those lives is heading for disaster and the other of those lives will stand firm. And the problem is that when you look at a house, you can't tell what the foundations are like from the outside in. It's all hidden, isn't it? It's all underneath. The builder knows. You'll know. But somebody looking in from the outside won't necessarily be able to tell. You'll know what sort of foundations you're building your life on. But it won't all come out in the bricks and mortar, the stuff, the successes, the failures. Actually, it's what are you standing on? And Jesus will have known the book of Proverbs very well. Um, Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, the books of wisdom in the Old Testament, would have been part of his upbringing, part of what he'd have learned and known from childhood. And he'd have known this very important phrase that comes several times in the Old Testament, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. Because if we, if we take Jesus seriously, if what he's saying about our lives is that it's not so much to do with the stuff of life that everybody else can see, whether you're successful in business, whether you've got a great family, whether you've got enough friends, whether your reputation is good, but it's the foundations on which you're building important, we've got to then ask the question, well, how do I build a wise, how do I build my life on wisdom? What does wisdom look like? For that matter, what does folly look like? How am I going to tell? And Jesus would have been able to point you back to Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord. Um, I have to say that when you think about fear, it's an almost universally negative word, isn't it? It's not the place you'd think of starting when you think about wisdom. Uh, you, you'd think about being afraid, being terrified. But actually, when the, Proverbs, the, the writer of Proverbs uses the word fear, he doesn't mean being afraid of God is the beginning of wisdom. What he's actually saying is a right understanding and a right approach to God is the beginning of wisdom. If you fear God rightly, then the other things in life that you could be afraid of get put in their right perspective. Um, I haven't asked you if I can tell this story, but I was just thinking tarantulas from Tom and Annabelle, um, who have just been somewhere where there are tarantulas in the jungle and that sort of thing. And I I heard the story of walking through the jungle and tarantulas on leaves and Tom having spiders on his head and things like that. You can tell I've been thinking about this a lot since not being a big fan of spiders. I was thinking, well, actually, uh, when you're somewhere where there is something properly big and hairy and scary and bitey and... Ugh, actually, those other things that you might be afraid of suddenly become a bit less so, don't they? I mean, I, I, you know, looking around our garden with the little spiders like this, they suddenly become a little bit less impressive, a little bit less, you know, um, fearful. Uh, please insert here whatever your particular pet fears are, and you can feel sorry for me. If you're afraid of something, if you fear something, if you, if you look up to it, actually puts other things in perspective. Now, you'll have known that in life in all sorts of different ways. I don't really just mean to do with tarantulas. It works more positively to do with the people whose opinion you value. It might work in a company. If there's one person's opinion that you value to do with your working life and they think you're doing great, you pretty much couldn't care about the rest, could you? And vice versa. Even if all your colleagues think you're great and the person you look up to and admire gives you a little dig in the ribs or is a little bit pulls back on their praise, it, it, it just, just doesn't work. 
It's to do with that hierarchy, what matters to us. That's what he's talking about in terms of fearing God, putting him right at the top. He matters most. His opinion matters most. And in the light of fearing God, actually, I will fear other people's opinion rather less. In the light of fearing God, I might fear failure rather less. In the light of fearing God, I might fear sickness, not being rich or not being famous or not being successful quite so much. Fearing God is about seeing God as he truly is and he then ends up top of the pile. Other things are put into perspective. It happens again and again throughout the Bible, this idea of fearing God, not in terms of being terrified of, but being rightfully respectful, in awe of. And, and he, he sort of jams at home by, by using this little word, the Lord. I don't if you've got the Bible open in front of you, you'll see that the way the NIV writes it is with those little um, small caps. And quite often in English translations of the Bible, that's their way of just giving you a little flag that says, this is a translation of a Hebrew word that isn't simply the word for in charge. This is God's name. And in Hebrew, something like Yahweh um, gets translated. Uh, um, I say something like, as in the, the way you would say it, is something like Yahweh um, or Jehovah. And that's God's name. It's his personal name. It's not simply put God with a small g, whoever's out there, up there. Actually, God, the God who's revealed himself in Scripture and most of all in Jesus Christ. We're going to put him right up there. So how's he revealed? How is this Yahweh revealed? Well, in the Old Testament, we see him in two particular ways. We see him as, firstly, creator, and secondly, redeemer. Creator, because he's the one who has made all things, is behind all things, and sustains all things. And if God's the creator of all things, then of course I'm going to put him right up there. If he's the maker of the universe, if he holds all things in his hands, that means that not only is he uh, higher than high, if he's greater than great, he's also the one who has set in place the boundaries and limits within which it's reasonable to live. It's reasonable for God to say to me, Richard, I know the best way for you to live because I made you, because I made this world. I know what's best. You actually find later on in Proverbs, um, Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 8 in particular, that the writer really picks up on this imagery of God as the creator and of wisdom being uh, that description of God's creative force and transforming power. A wise life fears God because he's our creator. He's the one who set boundaries in place. He knows the best way to live. But that's not enough. It's not enough because... There are times when we respect somebody's knowledge, but we don't trust their intentions. We might respect somebody's knowledge, but not trust their intentions. There may be somebody in a work environment who is incredibly experienced, who you know is very, very knowledgeable, is maybe a brilliant business person, but you simply don't trust their purposes for you. And therefore, when they give you advice or when they tell you how to do something, you don't know, actually, if they've got your best interests at heart. The same is true in parenting. If you're a parent, you want your kids not simply to believe that you know best. Actually, you want them to believe that you want the best for them. And that's why the other half of how this Yahweh is revealed in the Old Testament is so important, because he's not simply creator, he's also called 
redeemer. And redeemer simply means the one who saves, the one who rescues, the one who loves you and me and his people enough to give everything to rescue them. Now, if God loves me like that, that means that I can say, well, you not only know the best way to live, you want the best for me. I can trust you that when you say, here's the boundary, here's the way, you're not simply doing it arbitrarily or because you're a killjoy or because you just enjoy giving out rules. You're doing it because you love me. You're doing it because you want the best for me. And time and again, in the, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the argument goes something like this. Oh, people of God, you've turned your back on God. How could you do it when God loves you this much? And the different imagery used of God's love for us is like a, a father for their children, like a mother for her infant, like a friend for their lost one, like a husband for a wife or a wife for a husband. All those images of love are used of God's love for us. God not only knowing what is best, but wanting the best for us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That word beginning doesn't mean um, the place you start and then leave behind, like a starting line on a race. It means the foundation, the place where you stand, or it means the basis of. It's a bit like saying the alphabet is the beginning of reading. Numbers is, are the beginning of maths. Reading the notes on the stave is the beginning of music. It's the heart, the, the, the language of being able to live a wise life is fearing God, recognising who he is. Now, the way all that pans out, the way that we're going to look at it over the next few weeks is this. When you take a part of your life, your working life, your bank balance, your friendships, your parenting or your family... The temptation is to simply look through the Bible and try to find some good rules. How am I meant to live this bit? What am I meant to do? Or to go to somebody else for advice and simply say, what do I do? How do I, how do I build this house of my life? The danger of that is that we end up doing what Jesus was warning against, worrying so much about the bricks and mortar and the roof of this house that we miss out on the most important thing of all, the foundation on which we're building. It seems to me that by the time we leave our teenage years and we hit our 20s and our 30s and collapse in a little middle-aged heap in our 40s and then hopefully get up again and keep going, there's very little time given in most of our lives for thinking about what we're standing on, our basic assumptions about life, our basic values, the basic things we believe about the world in which we live. But they are the things on which we are building the whole of our lives. And Jesus says... If you build on the wrong stuff, it doesn't matter how impressive the house looks, you're in grave danger. Actually, it's all about the foundation. And that foundation is wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So what we're going to be doing with each of these subjects is trying really hard not to give simply ten top tips for a great family. I, I can't pay those things. Um, <laughs> um, quite apart from this, because ten top tips for my family wouldn't be the same 10 top tips for your family. What we can agree together is that if we're talking about family life or if we're talking about friendships or if we're talking about business life or whatever it is, actually we all need to stand on the same foundation and we can begin to apply that wisdom of standing on who God truly is, what he intends for us, how he loves us, how he's made us and begin to apply those things to the everyday messy reality of both a good but also fallen world. 
So we will try and be really practical, but we'll at the same time be all the time trying to come back to the foundations. What are we standing on? What does it look, to li- what does it look like to live a wise life? And try and focus not so much just on the bricks and mortar, the stuff everybody else sees, but on whether we are living a life that will stand the test of time when the rains come and the floods rise.